Welcome to the Heart of Dad podcast. Heart of Dad is a podcast for entrepreneurs who are passionate about their families and business and looking to find more clarity, more balance and more alignment in all areas of their life. Come and join the community at heartofdad.com or on Facebook at groups forward slash heartofdad. This week on Heart of Dad, I'm interviewing Andrew Chris. Andrew is the founder of the Life Empowerment Organization, a company that takes over 10 years of experience in the mental health, parenting, couple and family therapy space and preschool world and provides powerful resources to help people empower their lives. He's also a proud husband and father, which he says is the greatest accomplishment in his life. So this week on Heart of Dad, I'm delighted to introduce Andrew Chris. Hi, Andrew. Hey, Matt. Great to have you here. Thank you. So, Andrew, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so um, I just recently founded a company called the Life Empowerment Organization, and it's kind of the culmination of about 12 years worth of school and professional experience and things like that. And it's, it's to help people with their personal growth, to help couples strengthen their relationships, and to help parents, you know, be more effective parents and really just create some strong relationships with their kids. And so I, I come from the therapy background and I was kind of tired of working with crisis only and I wanted to do something more preventative and to really help people out before they're in crisis. So I kind of pulled it around and started doing that. And it started, believe it or not, with a passion with dads. I used to work for Head Start, which is a preschool around here for impoverished children and families. And I started a dad's program for about 700 families. And that's kind of where that took off for me was this, I want to help people in the preventative and, you know, and so I'm, I'm excited to be here on the, the heart of dad's podcast because dad's definitely hold a soft spot in my heart. It's definitely my passion. I'm a father of my own. I have a five-year-old son and a three-year-old daughter and it's the greatest thing in the world. You know, the beautiful thing about running this company is I've gotten to be a stay at home dad while I do this. So I get to spend quite a bit of time with them. Brilliant. Thanks for that introduction. And, um, Thank you. So, so you were saying at the the beginning that this is a, a 12 year journey. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that journey for yourself? <laughs> how, how has life unfolded for you in that time? Yeah, it's kind of interesting because when I first started to go to school, I went for computers because I didn't really know if I wanted to work with people <laughs> as, as weird as it is, you know, I was going the total opposite direction. And then I, I took a couple classes and like psychology and stuff and realized, okay, that's kind of what I want to do. And so it started in school. I, I did a child and family studies with psychology, dual major in college. After that, I kind of moved into the, well, I guess I'd went to grad school to do therapy. <laughs> so I, I, I did a master's in marriage and family therapy while working at Head Start. I've also worked in residential treatment facilities. I've been a therapist for about three years, although currently not practicing right now because I'm trying this new adventure. So, so I, I've worked with a little bit of everything. I've done parent education. I've done therapy. I've, I've done a lot of residential treatment. I've worked with children and things like that. So... 
You've seen a lot. You've seen a lot of people in crisis. You've seen a lot of people kind of on the margins and struggling. And what what yeah. motivated you to, to to do the Head Start project with seven hundred families? That sounds like an amazing undertaking. <laughs> it, it was it was awesome. So kind of the interesting thing was, even with the Head Start program I was at, there was only about four or five male employees, and then at the same time, I just noticed there wasn't a lot of dad involvement. And obviously through my studies and stuff, I learned the more involved dads are with their kids, especially with school, the better chance kids have of succeeding, not dropping out of school and, and, and things like that. Dads really are a big protective factor. And so I wanted to change that culture. I wanted dads to feel more welcome at the program. I wanted them to feel like they had an avenue where they could build relationships with their kids. And it was really cool because by the end of the year, a lot of the dads knew each other. And this was over a pretty big geographical area. So dads were getting to know each other from different parts of the counties where we live and stuff like that. So it was really cool to watch that community form and take off. And from what I know, they're still running the program about five years later, and it's still very successful. So, What differences do you, do you feel programs like that can make uh, for, for dads and the impact on their children, Andrew? I think one of the biggest things I saw is a lot of dads didn't, because it was academic environment, they didn't know what to do. They wanted to be involved. They wanted to help their kids, but they just didn't feel welcome. They didn't feel comfortable. A lot of dads are very naturally playful with their kids. We, we, we do that pretty well. You know, we like to throw them in the air and wrestle with them and things like that. And so what I think this did was it gave them confidence and ideas for how to get involved academically how to, how to do some of the more tougher dad parts too. We did do stuff like discipline and things like that. We, we would try to have a meeting once a month on some topics like that. And so I think it just, it was a more holistic approach that gave them more ideas and more confidence. I think a lot of the dads too realize that they're doing a better job than they thought they were. You know, I, I think we, we get, we get pretty hard on ourselves sometimes. And so I think that was the big thing too was recognizing they're doing a good job and that there's a lot of other guys in their shoes too. So. That's such a big deal, I think, isn't it? And partly what motivates me for this podcast is to help normalize kind of the, the whole range of experiences that dad have, not just the ones where, you know, the, the photo moments, but also those ones where actually there's some struggle and difficulty. And you know, I think yeah. that's great that you're able to do that. So how, how old were your kids? Uh, were, were they born at the point you were doing this? Let's see. My son would have been we had just had him he was just under one right so because i remember our, our last event was we shot off rockets and he he was pretty young but he thought that was like the coolest thing in the world <laughs> you know so he he was at our final one so and i believe we would have my wife would have been pregnant with our second mm. as as i was wrapping up my time there so I'm always curious, like uh, my expectation of fatherhood compared to the reality of fatherhood was you know, quite different, should we say? <laughs> that's the pol that's the polite understatement. That's the polite way, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and I'm curious to know, like, if you you're in, involved in a program where you're really getting dads involved, you know, you, you have the, all this training uh, as a therapist, you know, you have a really good understanding of de developmental. Um, kind of the stages for for kids and that helps you design this program and then you're having this experience of 
having your own child in his in his first year. Yeah, you know, how was that? You know, what what was the um, my daughter's outside my door. Sorry. Oh, okay, no problem. <laughs> All right, we're good. <laughs> Sorry about yeah, that. Re- that's your ring the alarm. <laughs> systems go <laughs> evacuate. Yeah. Uh, so I was just asking, like, um, you know, you so, so you have this program which is really about getting dads more involved and more connected, and then you're having your own experience of becoming a dad at the same time. And I'm just wondering, like. Um, how did theory and practice come into play in your own life? <laughs> <laughs> For sure. You know, uh, my, my wife and I laugh about this pretty often. Um, when I was first doing therapy, my supervisor, when we got to actual field work was like, okay, now that you know the textbook, throw it all out the window. Cause you're about to learn how to actually do this. And I feel like it was the same way, <laughs> you know, like I had all this really cool theory and all this really cool ideas. And then I got in the moment and I'm like, I don't, I don't know how to apply that. Like, you know, Maslow's needs. Okay. That's great. What do I do? You know? (laughs) And so I think even though I had the theoretical backgrounds, I was in the same shoes as every other dad too, trying to figure this out in the trenches on the ground, you know, kind of thing. And so I, I think what one of the foundations for me that's helped though, is I'm huge into the relationships. If you, explore any of my stuff, you'll see it's all about the relationship. And so I think at least having that foundation has helped me as a dad, recognizing that no matter what I do, it's going to impact the relationship. And it's kind of up to me a little bit to decide, is it going to help the relationship or hinder? But no, I think I was blindsided by reality just as much as every other dad, Mm -hmm. you know, I think, I think most dads would agree. It's the greatest experience. Like when you're when you and your kids are just, you know, together and it's something you really value, it is the greatest thing in the world, but it is the hardest thing in the world. It is really hard to keep yourself calm, keep yourself collected in those tough moments. I think you called them the photographic moments. Those are awesome, but that's only part of it. You know, (laughs) there's those tough days, those tough moments. And, you know, our, our son actually has some developmental struggles. So there's been some complications, some more intense behaviors and things like that. And it's really been a struggle, but I think just at least having that foundation of keep that relationship strong, always try to connect no matter what, that's really what's helped me push through. And it's what I really try to help dads that I work with recognize that everything's about the relationship. So choose carefully, (laughs) you know, what you're going to do. Right. Do you, I mean, I, I trained as a psychotherapist as well. And, you know, though I've, like you moved into the coaching space. Um, I was curious to know whether um, there was an added pressure having trained as a psychotherapist, because like intellectually, you know, all the stuff, right. That is bad. (laughs) (laughs) And yet, of course, you know, we're human beings and, you know, we the same banana skins that trip us up, trip or the same banana skins that trip other people up, trip us up too. How did that play out for you? At first, for sure. I definitely was like, I should know what I'm doing. I should, you know, like I, sh- I know this theory, I know child development. I, for about two years, I also taught fatherhood curriculum around the, you know, the area that I live in and worked with hundreds of dads. And at first I would feel that pressure I put on myself. And then I recognized it makes me more relatable because I'm actually human. <laughs> like you said, you know, And I started recognizing it's actually chances for learning rather than pass fail. 
but it, it took a few months to get there because, you know, here I'd have this class telling dads, you know, stay calm, don't get into power struggles, connect with your kid. And then I'd come home and it's chaos and I lost my temper. And it's like, I just talked about this tonight, <laughs> you know, like, oh. you know, but like you said, we have to recognize we're human. Just being a therapist or a coach doesn't make us above that. We're still human. You know, and I think when you work with dads or any parent or person, they want to work with a human. They don't want to see this like superhuman person that there's nothing they can do wrong. I think people like recognizing like, okay, this is normal. Like people yeah. do struggle with this kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And so, so that's kind of where I was able to move was, okay, I am human. I'm still going to try better each time. But I mean, there's just those moments when you're stressed or you're done, like, and your kid says, I'm not done for the day, you know, and you're just like, oh my gosh, mm. you're going to be human. So nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. I think that's really relatable, you know, what, what, what you just described. One kind of aspect of that, I suppose, that came up and has come up in my discussions with other dads is around guilt. And you know, have you, do you have a, an easy relationship with guilt? In other words, it's not something that bothers you particularly or um, has that been a challenge for you as, as you've had some of these kind of more difficult moments? Yeah, I think <laughs> guilt's kind of an interesting one. I, I think I've been fairly lucky throughout my life that I've been able to use guilt as a way to figure out what to do next time or to make things better. My wife will tell you apologies and me are not, they don't come naturally, <laughs> you know, but I've definitely tried harder with my kids. But I think a lot of the time, if I start feeling that guilt and stuff, I kind of check in with my kids and just say, Hey, how are we? You know, like, how are you feeling about dad today or things like that? And usually they're like, Oh, great. You know? And so it's in those moments that I go, okay, I'm putting this on myself. And so I try to, I try to work through it. Like, what am I feeling guilty about? Is there something I need to, to fix? My wife will tell you, I apologize to our kids more than anybody else, but you know, and, and I think that's a good model for them as well to recognize that if you do mess up or something with somebody, make it better. But luckily the guilt hasn't been too tough for me. I have worked with some parents that it's like they do one wrong thing and it just throws their week off. Like they can't, they can't get away from it. And then they create more of what they didn't want, you know? So they start thinking like, see, this is the type of parent I am because I'm doing it again and again and again. When in reality, you know, like that's just part of parenting. Sometimes we, we mess up. My kids didn't come with a manual. I don't know if yours did, but mine sure didn't. <laughs> you know, I, I wish they did, but that would be one long manual and it would constantly be changing. So we're, we're, <laughs> right. we're always learning on the fly, you know, a little bit. It, it's kind of like that question you brought up earlier. You know, the theory, you know, all this stuff. Yeah, but it's still, man, I, I don't even know what's going to happen today with behavior and stuff like that. You know, I have an idea, but we're constantly on the fly. So I think you, you got to have some self-compassion and recognize there's going to be moments you make the call that you did because it's what you saw in the moment. Hindsight's always twenty twenty. I can look back last week, you know, and be like, mm-hmm, yeah, I should have done this in that moment. But that's because I'm calm, collected, and I know what happened afterwards. In the moment, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen an hour from now, you know, kind of thing. And so I think recognizing it's okay. I'm going to make some good calls and I'm going to make some not so good calls, 
but it's what I do afterwards with that call that matters, you know? Nicely put. I really like that. Uh, I want to circle back, if I may, um, in your introduction, you were saying kind of in school you were into computers and then you had this kind of pivot where you moved and your interests shifted into psychology and then you kind of majored in, in uh becoming a therapist uh, i'd love to hear a little bit more about how that pivot came about it sounds like a really interesting one <laughs> yeah it is kind of interesting because like i said i in high school i studied computers uh, i thought that was my future like i i love hardware i loved building computers when i was in high school i had a little side project where i built computers for people you know but i wasn't really a people person i was good at interacting with people, but I was like, I don't really want (laughs) to interact with people on the daily kind of thing. And so when I started college, I started in uh, computer science, realized how much math is involved and I'm awful at math. (laughs) Like I will straight out put it. And that was kind of eye opening to me. So I took a psychology class and I was surprised how easily some of it was coming to me. Like some of the theory, it just clicked. It made sense. And so my professor was actually like, hey, why don't you check out this counseling class? She's like, you kind of think that way. And I was like, all right. So I took it, not thinking anything of it. I had done some therapy when I was a teenager. I've got some anger stuff, you know, so I had some experience with that world. And so I took that class and was like, oh my gosh, like I'm, I can see some patterns. Like there is a natural skill here for me. And then I moved schools. I went to like three colleges, you know, you know how it is, (laughs) you know? And so the final school I got my undergraduate degree at had also a family studies department because then psychology was like, well, you think like a psychologist, but you don't. I was like, what, what does that mean? (laughs) You know, like I think like a psychologist, but not. And they're like, you don't see just an individual. You see relationships, you see patterns amongst people. I was like, okay. So then I went over to the family field and that clicked for me too. Like, so I started recognizing one of my natural talents is I can see patterns in people, their behaviors and their relationships. But I also come at it from a very strength-based position. I want to access what's going well. I want to access your strengths. And it was just kind of interesting because I would say that pivot happened for me when I connected with one of my strengths. Whereas computer science, I found out was more of a hobby, (laughs) you know, definitely not an overall strength that would guide my life. Mm. I still love to play with computers and stuff, but, and and that's why a lot of my work too, is also helping people access their strengths. Cause I think we all have our own unique set of them and the more connected we are to them, the more we're going to find happiness because we're going to be living more authentically. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, you've alluded to a couple of things, Andrew. I don't know if you're willing to go there in, in the podcast, but you talked about you know, some anger and, uh, as a teen. Are you willing to share a little bit about you know, what happened to you in the, those years and and how you went got through that? Uh, for sure. I, I mean, it definitely wasn't an easy journey, you know, and I, I still, every day, I know there's people that depression's a tough one. They, they fight that every day, you know, anxiety and things. I, I would say anger is more my daily battle. But, um, some of it just kind of stemmed from teenage angst, you know, kind of thing. But we we moved around a lot when I was a kid and it was hard because I'd start having 
friends and then we'd have to move and stuff. And so I started kind of putting up a lot of walls, didn't really want to let people in and things like that. And then just kind of let that animosity build up. My dad and I, when I was a teenager, did not have a very good relationship. I felt like, cause we moved a lot for his employment. And so I kind of blamed it on him. Obviously now moving into the role of a dad, I get a little more what was going on. <laughs> but when you're a teenager, you know, 13, 14, that's not what you see. You know, so I, I, I let it get to me a lot. I, I would say I definitely got depressed, but it was more anger and sadness mixing in there. And so I did therapy for about two years, working pretty close. There were a couple of times I wasn't sure if I still wanted to live, you know, that kind of stuff. So it was pretty tough. Uh, it moved into my college years. I will say I did not do well. My first semester of college almost got kicked out of the school because I just basically didn't go to class. So anybody listening, going to school, go to class, <laughs> you know, <laughs> kind of thing, you know, but started recognizing that a lot of it was I was blaming rather than taking accountability for my own life and my own actions. And so a lot of my anger would be irrational because I, I would be pinning things on people that it wasn't theirs. It was mine, but I didn't want to deal with it, you know, kind of thing. So I would push it off to somebody else. Luckily I've been able to heal some relationships. My dad and I are very close now. Um, he's kind of modeled for me the last 10 years, the kind of dad I want to be kind of thing. Cause when I was at my darkest, I didn't think anybody would be there. He was the one, which is completely ironic in some ways, because I thought he was the one that put me there and would be the furthest and last one. So that was pretty life altering, you know, kind of thing. When, when I was in my darkest, he was the one that jumped in. So pretty cool stuff. <laughs> Not at the time, but now it's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's an amazing story. Thanks so much for sharing it. I can really feel kind of the, uh, you know, the emotion around it. And um, I've been asking other dads on the podcast about their relationship with dads. So I'm so glad you brought it up. Mm. Um, can you t talk us through that period where, you know, things were really difficult for you and your dad stepped in? How did, how did you receive that at first and, and how did it unfold for you? Well, I, I think at first, I think my dad tried earlier, but I wasn't ready. Um, my family was not the most physically affectionate. So sometimes when he would try to hug me when I was, you know, 16, 17, I was like, what are you doing? And so I think he knew that there were some things that he could have done better. And so he was trying. And I was the last of five. So, you know, he was, he was trying really hard and at first I wasn't ready. And so I, I kind of pushed away at first. I was like, what are you doing? Like, are you wanting like bonus points? Like, what are you doing? You know, but as strange as it is, when I was at my lowest, he was exactly what I wanted. And so when he jumped in, I was like, arms open. <laughs> like I let it all drop and was like, yep, you're who I need. And so I would say in that moment, even though I didn't realize that I was ready for it, I was ready. So it was cool. <laughs> I'm glad he did because it, it was a big risk on his part too. You know, we were not, not on the steadiest of ground together, but he went. He, and I don't even think he doubted it. I think he just went just like any, like I would do it for my kids, you know? 
That's an amazing story. You know, and it can so easily go either way, right? Yeah, the, oh, a dad, yeah. a dad feels rejected and so withdraws, and then it kind of confirms your story of who your dad is, or, um, you know, that you're you're so caught up in your hurt that you just keep on with the rejecting and you keep your dad at arm's length, and that yeah. that kind of uh, invitation to connection never really comes to fruition, and it kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy then doesn't it but uh right. well dad never showed up for me and look he's just uh he's uh you know i, I, want, I wanted to swear here but i'll probably wait but anyway, he's <laughs> gone away <laughs> he's gone away again yet again and yeah you know, mm-hmm. i'm just left trying to clear up the mess within myself so yeah i think it's uh beautiful you've been able to share that story here because i think it'll offer some hope for people who are dads now and thinking about how they're forging their relationship with their kids, but also those who've had a troubled relationship with their own dads. Yeah. So, so, you know, what I hear in that, Andrew, is like, it's almost like an act of faith, right? Your dad kept on showing up. Yeah. And I, I think in some ways I was doing like one hand up, like stay away. And the other hand was like, come here, come here, you know? So I think I was sending off some mixed signals too, but, yeah, he he tried really hard in the in the times that I needed it to be there. You know, as I look back on my childhood and stuff, he was trying to provide. He he was making some not so good calls in some other areas, but he was trying really hard. And I get that now. You know, like I said, now moving into the fatherhood role, it was amazing how quickly I was like, I have to provide for my family. I have to like at any expense. And I was like, where did that come from? You know, it's not like you know, my wife and I were like, Hey, maybe we should have a kid. Maybe we shouldn't, you know, and I wasn't like, okay, I need to get this job. I need to work these out. You know, it wasn't anything like that. And then I held my son for the first time. And obviously that was an amazing moment. And then I was like, man, I got to provide for this kid. And so I kind of fell into that trap that my dad had warned me about that. He fell in that providing is only economic because providing is so much more. There's that security, there's that relationship, the trust, you know, the will I be there when it matters kind of thing. And so luckily, my wife is an amazing woman and was like, you don't have to just work, like be here with us. That's important because she she knows a lot of my story too. And so she's like, don't do that. Be here, be present. Like that's just as much in providing. And so, and even my dad now, (laughs) you know, kind of gave me that same speech, like, don't, don't fall into that same trap, you know? And, but I I don't know about you, but for me, it was amazing how quickly and strong that force was like, I got to get out and get a high paying job. You know, I got to do all this, but that's not all it's about. There's so much more we can do. Definitely. I think um, that's, that's a great story for, for me. You know, I started my, I started two businesses like within uh, months of my son being born. And I'd love to say that that was partly the provider instinct, but actually it was also the, I need to get the hell out of here because this is just so overwhelming that yeah. I can't actually cope with this situation. And this other thing that, that will distract me and you know, uh-huh. it's a, it's a legit, it seems like a legitimate kind of spe- place to, to play in right now because it's going to be providing for our family. But actually, if I'm really honest about it, it wasn't, you know, I, I saw later, it was like, I just wasn't coping very well with the massive upheaval of uh, having this new being to care for in my life. And we had some tough times in the first six months, just kind of for another story really. But um, yeah, so I really resonate with, with what you're saying isn't it great to have 
kind of loved ones who are mentoring you in that way, you can you can say, well, okay, you don't you don't have to do that. Right. Another way, and for you to hear it as well, which is the second part of it, right? It doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> able to hear it. <laughs> you got to listen, and then you got to hear. <laughs> there is a difference, you know. And mm-hmm. I, I think it's so easy, like like you said, even in the first six months for you with with your, it, it's so easy to get closed minded and tunnel visioned. And I think having somebody on the outside that can kind of mentor you and get you to look wider and recognize it's not just about that moment and that is not the only choice or that is not the only, you know, answer or what is going on, that there is so much more you can do. There's, you know, especially, you know, babies are hard. It doesn't get any easier as they grow, (laughs) you know, but I know a lot of the dads I've worked with have expressed it's really hard when their kid's little and there's not a lot of give and take. It's a lot of giving And then your baby just lays there, you know, and just stares at you. And so I know a lot of dads have said that's really hard for them. But it's also some of the most crucial moments you're going to get with that kid too, because they're starting, even though their muscles and stuff, they can't smile as much. It's really fun when they start smiling, right? That's Mm -hmm. one of the greatest. But I think those first few months, not just all the responsibility, it's just like, even when you're with them, you're like, what do I do? Like, here I am trying to entertain you and you're just staring at me, you know, kind of thing. And and so it's hard for us. I, I think a lot of us men were not raised as nurturers. You know, we were raised to just solve problems. And, you know, it's kind of interesting. My, my wife is very much emotion-based and I'm very much the opposite. She's been very good for me, you know, kind of thing. Like she'll connect with the with our kids in ways that I'm like, how'd you even think to do that? You know, like how did you even recognize that's what they needed right then? Because I'm thinking, what consequence do they need right now for that behavior? <laughs> you know, kind of thing. But so I think mentors come in very different places. I've had my dad. I've, my brother is also one of my biggest mentors. I love that guy to death. Um, he he was. He was kind of my dad, I guess, if you want to say it that way, when I was in school and stuff, because he he was my male role model that was around and stuff like that. So, you know, it's interesting how they can help you through that kind of stuff, because even he called me. I was working. I was in residential treatment at the time my son was born working in that. I had just shifted and I was working 16 hour shifts several days a week. And, you know, looking back on it, some of it probably was kind of what you said, like, I'm not ready for this, but it looks like I'm doing something, so I'm going to do it. I didn't have to take that shift, but I took it because, you know, I want to provide. And so I think there was some of that. I was really nervous about moving into this new role and how is this going to work? And my brother was actually the one that pulled me aside and was like, dude, you don't need to work 80 hours a week. Like, be there your wife needs you and stuff. So mentors are very important. And I think part of why I'm doing what I'm doing is not everybody has them. A lot of the dads I worked with, especially in the Head Start population, they they didn't have dads. Their dads were in jail. They didn't know them or they were horrible relationships for most of them. And they didn't want to be that. So they knew they wanted to be a different dad, but they didn't know what to do. 
And so part of the reason why I started that program was to kind of create that community where we could all mentor each other. Because like you, like you pointed out, mentors are incredibly important. I was just really struck by what you're saying about the um, power of healing and you know, the gift that you're able to offer back into the world through your own kind of experience of life where, you know, there was some, some difficult times, some really difficult times, you know, you, you, you reconnected with your dad through that. You've got your mentor and your wife and your brother. And, um, yeah, I was just wondering about that. I mean, whether, whether it's felt like a healing process to continue on, to continue giving like you have to dads in the programs that you've set up. Definitely. You know, I, I think in some ways there's been times I've gotten more out of it than they have, you know, and, and not in like a selfish way, just to see the rewards of these dads who have needed help or wanted that. And to see them just step up to the plate, like they always wanted to and knock it out. Like that's been huge for me, you know, because I want to help people have the best relationships they can have in their lives, whether it's with themselves, their partners or their families. And so to see it happen and know that it can work is really powerful. And it, it does kind of help make some of the past stuff I've been through meaningful and matter rather than just be a victim of it or like, well, I wish I could go and do it. Like I'm almost to the point where I'm like, I'm glad that it happened because I've been able to help not only myself, but my family and all these other families have been able to take some of those lessons and maybe hopefully prevent some of that from happening. Cause I don't think my story is an uncommon one. You know, like I, I think a lot of dads, even if they were present, weren't, <laughs> you know, does that make sense? Like my, my dad worked Definitely. a lot. Yeah. You know, he was yeah. always gone and stuff. And so, I think helping uh, new dads, right? This new generation of dads, which is awesome. We're one of the most involved generations of dads there's ever been, which is fantastic. You know, it's cool to see them try to undo that too. And, and so seeing this work be meaningful and help people out is incredibly healing for sure. Mm, I bet. I bet. I mean, I see that in my own work and, and these podcasts, you know, it's just the, the gift of having the conversations like I'm having with you today is, is is healing in itself i wonder if we can come back to anger a little bit andrew because one of the things that i've shared on this podcast is i suppose that um there are times as a dad where (laughs) you got some i've got a visitor um there are times where um yeah anger becomes part of the landscape as a dad, you know, for me, I think I've experienced anger probably like I've never experienced anger in my life before as a dad. And that yeah. shocked me. And it scares me sometimes that, you know, it can end up in places of anger, which, you know, for me is a lot around loss of control, loss of, um, yeah, I mean, primary loss of control. And, you know, you've talked about how in the dynamic in your relationship, perhaps anger is the, you know, resides more with you and your, your wife is more kind of on the emotional side. Um, how does how does anger play out in your in your parenting at the moment? Yeah, I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm a fairly patient person. Kids totally test that, you know. 
And I, I think you kind of brought up control. Like when we feel this loss of control and there is nobody better at taking control than kids. Like they are amazing at it, you know, kind of thing. And so I think recognizing our needs for control is important. We all have it. We all want to feel this sense of control in our lives. Oh, there, there's my child speaking of visitors. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, we, we all have this deep need for this sense of control that I have a say in the outcome of what's going to happen. Well, kids also like to have that say. And I think for me, my anger has been triggered the most when I feel like it doesn't matter what I'm trying to do here. It doesn't like it's not happening. And that's when I start getting to the point where I will control any little thing just to try to feel that control. And so I start micromanaging and I hate micromanaging. I'm getting better to the point where I'm starting to recognize like, okay, if I'm asking my kid to put away their socks in a certain way, I'm too far. Like it is no longer my kid's responsibility. That's on me. Cause who cares if the sock is, you know, in the drawer this way or that way, it doesn't matter. But because I'm so feeling so out of control and it's not necessarily just parenting everything in general. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if it all culminates, then I start grasping for those little strings of control. And that's usually when I recognize, okay, my anger is starting to come out. I'm more firm when I talk to my kids than the situation calls for. Now, luckily I'm not like a huge yeller or anything like that, but I mean, I could get there, (laughs) you know, like if I'm angry, I know I can get there. And luckily my own volume scares me at times as weird as that is like, that's my own warning. It's like a siren going off like, Oh wow, that was loud. But I think recognizing like, okay, what are the little small things I start doing that are showing me I'm starting to lose my anger. And if it's again, over silly things, like I want you to walk to your room. And so the kid does what a kid does. They get down and crawl like a dog (laughs) or whatever. Like, does it really matter if it takes 10 seconds rather than seven seconds to get into the room? No, it doesn't. But when I'm in micromanager mode because I'm angry and I feel out of control, it makes me mad. And I'm like, get on your feet, you know? And it's like, that was unnecessary. And so at that point, I think you have to kind of self-reflect. What's going on? What am I doing? You're probably not going to do it in the moment. (laughs) You know, you're not going to be like, okay, kid, pause in the hallway. Daddy needs to meditate here for a second. (laughs) You know, like that's, that's not going to happen. It's usually afterwards. And I, I've tried to do better about each day prioritizing. What am I doing? Where am I at? I, I call it the, the daily check-in for myself in the morning and, and night. Where am I at? What, what's stressing me out? What am I thinking about? Obviously, we got some stuff going on in the world right now that, <laughs> you know, it's, I think a lot of us have reached our points over and over. And so recognizing what can I do to kind of relax a little bit? What can I do to kind of unwind? We, we are, you know, I, I, I don't know how kids are as resilient as they are. Ours are, have handled some stuff pretty well, whereas I don't feel like I have. <laughs> I've taken a lesson from my kids who can just go outside digging dirt and they are the happiest kids. So I've started going outside digging in the dirt with them, you know, but I, I, I've found if, I'm not entering their world. I'm too stuck in mine. And usually anger is what keeps me weighted down in my world. 
I love this segment, Andrew. I think it's going to be really valuable for other dads listening, particularly ones who wrestle with anger. And I count myself as one of those people. Um, you know, I think you articulated so perfectly the challenge around control and the loss of control, and and that being the tell. Like if you're getting into micromanagement, you know, I can certainly see that in myself. If I get into micromanagement, then yeah, there's uh, there's a warning sign that something's going <laughs> right. you know, to something's off off kilter. And I think also you're very realistic in saying, well, actually, sometimes it takes till after the event to be able to reflect on that and see, okay, there was something that was out of out of kilter there, and I, mm-hmm. I need to look at that because I think there can be a lot of pressure to think, okay. I need to, I need to, you know, obviously we don't want to get into a place where we're yelling um, at our kids, you know, on a, on a regular basis or as the default place. But if there's a, um, but sometimes it's just not possible to, to regulate in the, in the moment. You have to, you have to step away just as it's so hard for our kids to regulate mm-hmm. in the moment. And um, I think there could be a lot of pressure to feel like, okay, I have to, I have to be on top of this right now, yep. which I think actually makes it worse. Well, it's, it's like trying to teach a kid, like we call it lectures, right? While they're not regulated, hmm. they're kicking and screaming. And it's like, no, sit down and listen to me for the next 30 minutes. Like, no, they're not learning anything. Well, if I'm trying to regulate, you know, go after myself in that moment, like, oh, you shouldn't be doing this. I'm lecturing myself. How open am I to that? It's no different than your kid who is not open to a lecture when they're mad. It makes it worse. You know, and, and so you, you definitely have to wait until afterwards. If you're to the point where you're out of control, just get out of the room. Like if you're going to do anything, just leave the situation. Make sure your kid's safe, you know, like make sure there's nothing. Don't leave your kid in the road and walk into your garage or anything like that. You know, but realistically, the only, if you're that far down the road, the only thing to do is just get out of the situation. Just stop and get out. You know, because you're going to do something you regret. You're going to say something. You're just going to overreact, you know. And it depends on the degree of the situation. You know, there's definitely been some times where I've said something around my son who later brought it up. And I'm like, I said that? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, ooh, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, because I didn't walk out of the room in, in, in time. So I'm kind of a debater. I like to debate. I like to have the last word, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. And so apparently if I am really angry, I like to leave with a last little parting word for the person, you know? And so, oops, you know, you, you do have to reflect afterwards because don't lecture yourself, your kids the same way you lecture them. They're not getting it. You lecture yourself. You're just going to get mad. Or if you're the type of person that shames yourself, you're going to shame yourself. You know, a lot of men cover shame or guilt or sadness with anger we call it anger but it's a mixture of other things and so if i'm the type that's actually goes after myself it's not productive in the moment either it's kind of like you said it's gonna make it worse Mm. yeah yeah brilliant share that just want to switch tack a little bit and um one of the topics i've been exploring with other dads also has been particularly dads with younger children like you and me, my, my son's uh, six now, um, it's kind of the adjustment around your sense of personal freedom as you, as you move into parenthood. You know, how, how have you managed that in your life? Because that to me was part of the revolution or you know, discomfort, I think, that led me into that kind of 
going hell for leather with creating new businesses yeah. because I, I felt kind of my sense of freedom was so compromised at the time. This is definitely something that comes up when I work with any new parents is, well, I can't go to the movies now when I want. I can't go do this when I want. I can't go hang out with my friends unless I find a babysitter. And then even when I hang out with them, my friends have no kids, so we have nothing in common, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. I, I think helping people realize there is a level of sacrifice that's going to happen. You have to give up some things. You can only put energy in one place at one time. You know, if I take from time here, it's going, you know, to, if I want to go to the movie, it's going to take from time from somewhere else. Moving into the dad world is the biggest time changer I've ever had. You know, I like to go play sports. I like to do that kind of stuff. And now it's a lot harder to do that. Obviously it's really hard right now because I can't go anywhere, but you know, <laughs> um, but it was definitely an adjustment and how I've been able for myself to make it work is recognizing the meaning of the time I'm, I'm taking. I could go to a movie because I want to for an hour and a half, which would be great. I'm sure it'd be a fun movie and I'd have a good time or I can spend an hour and a half with my kid or my kids and make fun memories. We can go draw a sidewalk talk or whatever watch them laugh and build something that in the future is going to matter even more because right now I'm laying the foundations for the relationship I want with my kids when they're older. If I'm not willing to be there with them now, why would they think I'd want to be when they're older? That's not to say we shouldn't do some self-care. going to totally throw that out there. You do need to take time for yourself. It's just probably going to look different than when you were a bachelor. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's going to look a little different. But to me, I want my kids to know they matter to me and that I'm going to be there. So when my son is obsessed with dragons, obsessed with them, I am tired of dragons. I am not going to throw that. You know, I am tired of them. But when he's talking to me about them, that's my world. I am into dragons, you know, because it matters to him. If I shut down dragons at five, why is he going to come to me about drugs at 15? Why is he? I, I didn't talk about the simple stuff. Why am I going to be there for the hard stuff? You know, so I've tried for myself to make that matter. Like, okay, some of the time I'm giving up is important because it's going to matter to my kids and the relationship we have. And I want them to know that, you know, family is very important to me. I still try to get time where I'm self-caring, as I call it. I still go to a movie here and there with my wife. We know we do date night or whatever. But I would say the ways I take personal time have changed. Usually I'm still around the house or at least around the area. But I'm not going to lie. I wasn't really one that wanted a lot of personal time when I was a bachelor. <laughs> you know, does that make sense? Like I, I tend to be a little more of a homebody anyway. So mm -hmm. I will say I have a little small advantage there maybe, but <laughs> you know, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. 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 Nice. Nicely put. I like that. 
Just, you know, as we're coming to the closing stages, Andrew, I'd love to hear a bit more about, you know, your idea of empowerment. Because actually, that's kind of, I was just reflecting on the conversation we've been having today. And that to me is really a through theme. I know it's a big focus of your business now, but I was just thinking about everything you share with me is, you know, that's kind of an underlying motif, should we say, of a lot of your shares, I would say there's something about empowerment. So would you, would you speak to that a little bit? Uh, to me, I, I think the more we know ourselves and what's important to us and what we value, you know, the more we're going to live the life that we're wanting. I think a lot of us kind of run on autopilot and it's not always a bad thing, you know, but we assume we know what's important to us. We assume we know what we're going to do, but you move into a role like fatherhood. It throws it all upside down. You know, even that conversation we just had about personal time and sacrificing, that's one of them, right? That's a value. If I value personal time and I want to have some say and freedom to do what I want to do, and then I become a dad, it gets replaced with responsibility for another human being, <laughs> you know, like, wait a second, you know? And so, yeah, the, the big thing I want to help people with is recognizing what's important to them and what they're going to do. Because to me, the more you know, the better choices you're going to make in the moment. It's not perfect, right? There is no perfect strategy. If you got somebody coming to you saying, I've got the perfect template, just run. It's not worth it, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. But definitely with, with dads, especially, I think a lot of times when they come to me to help with their kids or something, they, they want me to help change the kid's behavior. And it throws them because I go, no, we're going to look at you. We're going to look at your behavior. We're going to look at your thoughts. We're going to look at your goals because I can't control your kid and neither can you. The only person we can control is ourselves, which is why I like the empowerment is the more I know myself, the more I'll be in control of myself, which, and then my, my family training comes out, right? The more in control I am, I can influence the other person. If I'm yelling at my kid to stop yelling, <laughs> right? Like I just gave them permission to yell because I'm doing it. But if I, my kid's yelling and I say quietly, hey, I don't want to be talked to that way, and I stay calm like that, their volume is eventually going to come down. It's hard though, right? You, you know it. It is so hard in the moment when they are screaming at you one foot from your face, and you're just like, oh my gosh, that's giving me a headache. I'm going crazy, right? But if I can help connect you to your, your goals, your vision, right? As dads, we have a vision of what we want. I would hope, right? If you're moving into that fatherhood role and you want to be involved, that you have this vision of, okay, this is what I want. This is the type of dad I want to be. This is how I want my kids to grow up. If I can help connect you to that so your behavior aligns with it, you're going to feel more comfortable in your fatherhood role. Not 100% of the time. Uh, -uh. <laughs> That's the joy, right? The one certainty of parenting is there's a lot of uncertainty, you know, kind of thing. One day is going to be totally different than the next. But I think when I'm, when I challenge parents, especially like, so what are you going to do differently? Cause they'll always try to pull it back to the kid. Cause that's what we want. Right. I want easier. my kid to behave. <laughs> seems easier. It's easier. It seems <laughs> easier. I want my yeah. kid to behave. Hmm. Well, your kid's three, <laughs> you know, like, you are asking a lot from your, your three-year-old. And, and I think that's big when we tend to have unrealistic expectations, especially for younger kids. But the more we know ourselves and what I want to do and 
the type of dad. When I work with dads, I like to bring in like work metaphors. So I like to ask, are you the type of leader you would follow? And if you're not, what do you need to do to get there? Because all of us hate micromanagers. I have not met one person that's like, my micromanaging boss is the best. I haven't met one. If, if you've met one, that would be fantastic, but I doubt it. And yet, how many of us as dads go into the micromanaging role? Because like you said, it's easier. If I can dictate what's going on, it's going to flow so much easier. But is that the type of leader you would follow? If not, you know, make the changes. What would it do? And so I want to help align people with that. Like what type of leader when it comes to parenting do I want to be? And let's get there. I think it's a great message you've just been sharing there, Andrew. And I'm wondering, like, when you've worked with dads, um, uh, it's not a very scientific question, but I kind of, there's something you're, you're putting your finger on about kind of having a conscious intention as a parent. So, you know, to be consciously the dad that you want to be, mm-hmm. to have the relationship, to consciously have the relationship you want with your kids, not just now, but in the future. I think it's such a powerful message from today's podcast. But, um, when you meet dads, how many have got to that place of being conscious about what kind of parent they want to be? I, I think I think in some ways it's a constant journey. So I don't know if it's a destination. Mm-hmm. I think some, I would say about half the dads I work with, they're trying to be consciously intentional, as you would say, but they're not sure how to do it. Does that make sense? Like they're, they need help actually aligning with what their intentions are. So I would, I would say it's 50, 50, but for some of them, it's, I know I want to be this and I'm trying to be this, but I don't know what it means. And so usually they'll try to ask me what it means. And then I throw it back at them. Well, what would it mean? (laughs) You know, because I can't answer for you. You know, if you came to me right now and said, what kind of dad should I be? I don't know what kind of dad Matt wants to be. So I'm going to ask you, well, what would you see Matt doing if he was the dad you wanted to be, you know, kind of thing. And so I I really try to help align with that. I think a lot of us start the process. And then as we kind of talked about earlier today, we get stuck in the day to day. And so we try to escape or we, we get stuck on one aspect I need to provide, or I need to do this. So we get stuck and then we push pause or I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. (laughs) Someday. Right. That's, I think the most popular day of the week is someday. Does that (laughs) that make sense? Someday. Yeah. Yeah. And it could be, I don't know how often it occurs in a week, but it happens a lot, you know, someday kind of thing. And so I try to put pause on that and we're all doing it. I teach it and I'm still learning every day, you know, kind of thing. But the more, like you said, the more aligned we are and the more, I like that term consciously intentional. Don't worry. I won't steal it from you. That's your term. I like it. (laughs) But, but I can see that shift when I work with dads, when they do it, because it does change. They start not feeling so burnt out with fatherhood or professionally. If they've been using work for an escape, they're going to be burnt out there too. Because, you know, they're just running from the problem rather than solving it. And we've all done it. Like, I'll just throw that out. We've all done it. It's oh, yeah. normal. You know, we've all done it. 
But when that shift happens, it's not that they're necessarily going to have the perfect dad traits and they're not suddenly going to become this perfect dad. But what I start seeing is they're more present with their children. They're not taking like their phone out or things like that. You know, they are present. They're more willing to play with their kids. I've worked with some dads that are like, no, I will not play tea party. And then after a couple months, they send me a picture and they're having a tea party. And I'm just like, yes, you know, like that is awesome kind of thing, you know, or they're, or they're showing more affection or, you know, things like that because they start realizing this is the type of dad I want to be. I do want to be connected to my kids. It doesn't mean we always know the right call, right? We're not always going to necessarily make the right decision in the moment, but they start making the best decision they can see in the moment. And then they look back and learn, okay, what could I have done differently? You know, it's all kind of reflective of what we've talked here. It's kind Mm. of nice. It's like all wrapping up instead of shaming myself or, you know, getting really angry. I just look at it and go, okay, I made the best call when I was in the moment. If this happens again, what will I do this next time? Because now I know something better. Yeah. Thanks so much, Andrew. And I love that kind of wrapping up, as you say, it really, um, explains beautifully and kind of just as has this whole podcast about like what empowered fatherhood can look like. And, uh, it's very real. It's honest. It's, uh, it's realistic. It's got kind of burnt edges as well as beautiful <laughs> centers. And that's all good. Uh, so thank you so it's much for how you've shown up, uh, for the podcast. Um, and where can we find out more about you if we want, want to? Absolutely. Uh, you can find us at empoweringthejourney.com. You can Google the Life Empowerment Organization. There's not many out there, right? <laughs> you know, uh, we're also on Facebook, and hopefully, hopefully, I'm, I'm working really hard here in the next few weeks to have our fatherhood book published and available to people. And it is called Empowered Fathering, and it talks about a lot of this stuff. So I'm really excited about it. I've been working on it for a long time. It's one of those projects that's been sitting in my head forever. And I turn someday into today. So I'm doing it, you know, kind of thing. So, so cool. Well, we'll put the links in. So I think by the time the, the podcast is released, all, all those things will be, or the book will be live as well as all the other things you've pointed to. So Sounds thanks again, good. Andrew. Thank you so much. <laughs>